election coming up toward the end of December that we can look forward to as well. Well, now that we're past the feast, I want to go back to the book of Amos and pick that series up where we left off. We had gone through chapter 5 where he was uh, getting after our leadership and all of our activities and the things we've done and how he was going to send us into captivity. Uh, we get into chapter 6, and it sort of begins to talk here about the self-righteousness of our nation, uh, the church too. When I first went through this uh, book and all these minor prophets as a series, I focused heavily on how it was first applied to the church, but now we're looking at it more from the standpoint of the nation. And the leadership of the nation and the leadership of the church are very similar and kind of went a similar way. Here in chapter 6, he says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named the chief or the first fruits of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. To remind us, uh, the church and the nation were looked upon by their capitals. Samaria was the capital of the ten tribes. Zion was uh, near Jerusalem. And he uses those headquarters areas to describe the nations as a whole. But those who were at ease in the capital of our nation and trust in our leadership and our power those who were in charge of the nation. We became the first fruits, this nation. Uh, Reuben was the firstborn son, and because he was unstable as water, God changed the order. He makes it very clear in Jeremiah 31 that Ephraim is his firstborn. Now, originally, that was not the truth at all, but God changed that order because of character issues, because of those whom he chose to bless above others. And Ephraim was the one he chose to give the most to, the younger brother, not Manasseh, the older brother. I certainly think that Manasseh is Great Britain, and we are Ephraim, the younger brother, who came afterward and who did receive even greater blessings than England did. So the nations came to us. We're the leader of NATO and Europe and so on, have been. So he says, pass into Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath, the great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms or their border greater than your border? He says, look around, Ephraim, America. Are those other nations greater than you've been? No. It says compare. So why are you trusting in yourselves? Did not what you have come from God? Didn't he say he would give the blessings back in Genesis 49? Yes, he did. And now we have them. So then we sit back and relax and think we're A-OK. Kind of what he's saying here. Verse 3, you that put far away the evil day and caused the seed of violence to come near. So we as Americans have always felt proud of our nation and proud of our power and America first and sing songs about it and so on. And we put off the evil day by saying nothing can happen here. Been no wars on American soil and there won't be any. We've been proud that way. And yet we cause the seed of violence to come near. By the way we live, the way we're doing, we have a lot of people arrayed right now who want to destroy us. And they are in the active throes of doing that. that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock 
and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. They don't we don't have instruments of music to God, but to themselves, it says. Making music for ourselves. That drink wine in bowls. That's bowl is a little bigger than glass. And anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. So he's talking here, first of all, I think, to the leadership, because he refers to the capitals, who are just doing their thing. They are rich, they have lots of money, and hey, they're in the lap of luxury. Everything's going fine for them. And it even stretches to, or did, to our middle class, where we thought we were just doing so great, and everybody had a boat and a car, you know, and everything, a house. But maybe we were a little too self-fulfilling. They're not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. I don't think most people in this country even realize that we're under affliction yet. They just don't grasp it. Everything's going to work out okay. We'll get our vaccination and, and these supply line things will clear up. And we'll go right back to normal. Everything will be fine. So that's the picture that he's giving here. Stretch back on the couch. Bring me some fresh lamb or whatever you want. In a bowl of wine, and everything's good. And don't consider the violence and the affliction that is going on. Therefore, or as a result of this, now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. So those in leadership who are the wealthiest, and are running things from Washington and New York and wherever, are going to go captive with the first that go captive. Now, when a corporation comes in and gets new leadership, what do they tend to do? They just tend to clean out the old officers, old offices, and install new. And when you get these Russians and Chinese and other nations allied with them, Coming into America, who will they distrust the most? The liars and the thieves who've been leading this nation and selling us out, as Jeremiah 50 and 51 say they have done. They won't respect them or like them a bit. They've been paying them to betray us. So they know they're liars and thieves. They'll go into captivity with the first that go. They're not going to keep them installed in the leadership positions. They'll get rid of them right away and take over with their own people. That's what he's saying. The Lord God has sworn by himself, says the Eternal, the God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. So there it nails down that he's talking to those who are at the top of the society financially, the palaces, or the, 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 the even bigger McMansions, let's say. Therefore will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. Whole thing's going down. And it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. Speaking primarily to the leadership. They're going to just wipe it out. And a man's uncle shall take him up, and he that burns him, cremation, to bring out the bones out of the house, and shall say to him that is by the sides of the house, Is there yet any with you? And he'll say, No. <laughs> They're all dead. Then he shall he say, Hold your tongue. For we might, may not make mention of the name of the Lord. No Christianity allowed. Nobody can mention the name of the Lord. 
So he says, everybody's dead, but just keep your mouth shut. We're not going to acknowledge that there is a God. For behold, the eternal commands, and he will smite the great house with breaches and the little house with clefts. So huge breaches in the great houses and smaller clefts in the smaller houses. He holds the leadership more responsible than he does everyone else. But he does not not hold all of us responsible for what's going on in our nation. Sure, the, the majority of the uh, fault may lie with our leaders, but who are those leaders? They're just people like us who are elected to high office. And we are all responsible for what goes on in our nation. All the leaders are is a reflection of the people. They're just worse liars, worse thieves than the people in general. So God will hold each accountable for his own with greater responsibility on the leaders. Then he says, shall horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? Horses can ruin their hooves. They can have all kinds of leg problems running on rocks. And it doesn't do a whole lot of good to plow rocks with oxen either. Your plow just doesn't bite into rocks very well. For you have turned judgment into gall and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. So he says, the way you're living, you've turned everything into something distasteful or poisonous. You which rejoice in a thing of nothing, which say, have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? America thinks our military that we have developed has given us the horns of power, the horns of strength. And most Americans still, I guess, think that's true. But for the last ten years, they've been taking the military apart just as fast as they can and getting rid of halfway decent leaders. And now they're going to thin it out a whole bunch when pilots and different ones like that will not take the vaccination. I understand there are about 10,000 of them right now who are suing uh, over the whole thing and do not intend to take it and will therefore either have to be fired or resign. And that's going to do an awful lot against our military. So we think we're something in the day of trouble is long, far away from us. Well, no, it's not. And God is a whole lot more powerful than our military is. And he is raising up military powers right now that are far more powerful than ours, or will be. But behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, says the Eternal, the God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hamath unto the river of the wilderness. Probably referring from the east coast clear out through the desert. They're going to come in and take over. We're going to be invaded. And that has already started. Let's not kid ourselves. I've said many times already, there are already Russian and Chinese soldiers in this nation by the thousands. Uh, they're running big solar plants, the Chinese are, and the Russians are scattered across the country. They're just waiting. And there's U.N. troops in this country already as well. And that may be the banner that they all fly under. We'll, we'll see. I don't know that. Then into chapter 7. Thus has the eternal God showed me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. So the king took the crops in the beginning, and once he got his mowing and got what he wanted, then others could have what was left. So he says, grasshoppers. This could indicate in the fall, uh, after the summer growing season, 
I don't know whether he's giving us timing here per se or whether it's, he's just saying grasshoppers are coming on what's left of the harvest. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech you, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. Now, they are taking away our agricultural production right now and paying people not to farm and telling them don't farm and buying up the little farms and then not farming on them because the easiest way to control the people is to starve them. And that's what they are in the process of beginning to do. Are they the grasshoppers? These people who are controlling these things and causing them to happen? Maybe so. But we're being made small. We're having our power taken away. And, he, and Amos says, well, how are we going to rise from this? We're made small. And the Lord relented for this. It shall not be, says the Eternal. So he says, well, maybe I won't do that, Amos. Thus says the Lord God, or thus has the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. Don't know how that was fulfilled or will be. Could be that La Palma volcano does send a tsunami and tear some things up. I don't know that. But just envisioning or speculating on ways that God might start to do some of these things. And then said Amos, O Lord God, cease, I beseech you, please. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The eternal relented for this. So he says, okay, this shall not be, says the eternal. And then he changes and is going to do it a different way. Israel's not going to get off. But in telling Amos, I'll, resent, I'll relent on these two things, he's showing that he still cares and still loves Jacob. But we can't go unpunished. We can't go on the way we are at ease with our bowls of wine and stretched back on our couches, as our nation is. So, thus he showed me, verse 7, And behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. Now, a plumb line is a straight string held up to see if something's straight or not. If it's leaning this way or leaning that way, you put that on there so you can tell what you got. Builders use them all the time to see if the wall they've got is straight or not. And the Eternal said to me, Amos, what do you see? He said, I, and I said, a plumb line. Then said the Eternal, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel I will not again pass by them anymore. So he says, I'm going to pass judgment. You've made a couple of requests, and I've related, and I said, I won't do it that way, and I won't do it that way. But something's got to be done. So I'm going to stretch a string, and I'll see how people square up with that. Are they upright or not? Of course... As you look around this nation, how upright is it? How righteous are we? How much do we follow God's way? How many Americans have the goal of thinking like God, of having the same emotions, the same feelings God has? How many consider what they let go through their mind as being whether that is the way God thinks or not? Or is it just the way they think, and that's the end of it? That's primarily what we are. We don't consider God much in this nation anymore. And even those who claim to, it's just lip service 
and they aren't following God's ways. We are simply not a Christian nation whatsoever. So God says, I'm not going to pass by it anymore. I've got to make a judgment here. We'll find in chapter 8 that he does. He says, And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Jeroboam was the king, so the sword would come against the leadership. As he said, those at the top will go captive with the first that go captive. They're not going to escape. Because God already knew the plumb line would not fit the people, or they would not fit it. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the household of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. <laughs> For thus Amos says, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. So here's this pagan priest who sends a message to Jeroboam that this fellow Amos has got a bad message. He's, a, he's an anti-vaxxer. Also Amaziah said to Amos, O you seer, go, flee you away into the lands of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. Leave us alone. If you, if you can't keep your mouth shut, go to Judah and talk to them about all this. We don't want to hear it. Then answered Amos, oh, wait a minute, in verse 13 he says, But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. The king looks to Bethel. He doesn't, he's, he's not seeking God, he's seeking the pagan worship. Our leaders basically are just giving up any kind of religion other than Lucifer worship. That's where they're going, and that's what they do. The last several presidents have used the Satan signs standing in public to let us know who they worship. It's open for anybody that recognizes the signs. Then answered Amos, and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. But I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. My margin says wild figs. Uh, it's uncertain what sycamore means in the Bible. They, uh, it's that way with quite a few trees. You, you look them up and they're not sure which tree the Bible is talking about. But this does say wild figs. So some kind of fruit he was gathering. He was just herding animals. And picking fruit. He said, hey, wait a minute, I'm no prophet. Or I wasn't. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. So he said, hey, this isn't from me. I was just a farmer. God told me to do this. He wasn't going to shirk. Once God gave him a commission, he says... I think I better go do it. There's, there's no, there was no Jonah in him. Now, therefore, hear you the word of the Eternal. Here's what he told me, and here's what I'm going to tell you. You say, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not your word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Eternal, your wife shall be a harlot in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided by line. Daniel indicates this nation is going to be divided up into at least four sections, it appears. And you shall die in a polluted land. Well, we're certainly a polluted land in every respect at this point. And Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. This is an end-time prophecy toward Ephraim. Hosea was almost all about Ephraim, and this is 
fundamentally Ephraim, but it does include Israel and Judah. But first on us. Thus says the eternal God, or this has the eternal showed me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. So what he's saying here is God says you're going down, your king is going to die, and his wife's going to be a harlot, and you're going into captivity. So after this then, God shows Amos a basket of summer fruit, because it is going to be a continuation of what we just read. He said up there, he will go ahead and put a plumb line in the midst of us, and he will make a judgment. Okay? Chapter 8, he begins to make that judgment. Now, he's already said, you're going to go into captivity, but he has to pronounce a formal judgment for that to happen. He can say, yeah, this is going to happen, but there comes a sentencing time, if you will. Showed me a basket of summer fruit. Now, that refers back to, I think, over here saying, I'll send the grasshoppers at the beginning of the shootings, and then once the king's is taken off, uh, that would indicate late summer, fall. So here he shows a summer basket of summer fruit. So I think he is indeed indicating a time that something would happen. Let's carry on and see. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, basket of summer fruit. Then said the Eternal to me, The end is come upon my people of Israel. So I think this judgment, he is saying, occurred toward the end of summer, headed into the fall. Toward the end of the harvest season is when the judgment came. The end is come. I will not again pass by them anymore. So God has been putting up with our sin, our demoralization, everything that is wrong in this society, and it's almost everything, for quite some time now. And he said here, I'm not going to pass by anymore. I've got to do this. He said earlier over here, don't want the day of the Lord to come. That's not what you want. It's going to be a terrible, terrible time. And now he's going ahead and making a formal judgment here. I'm not passing by anymore. The songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, says the Eternal. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. There's going to be so much death and destruction that everybody is going to be so depressed, so frustrated, that they're not even talking. They're just gathering up bodies in silence. Hear this, O you that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. Isn't that what our leaders are doing right now? They're setting us up to fail. There's jobs everywhere. You could go anywhere and get a job today, but nobody wants one. Because Kami Joe is giving us a check and making us totally dependent upon the government instead of the work of our hand. Ruining any ambition, any strength that our people might have left and turning it into communism or a mix of that and socialism and Nazism. It has elements of all three. And the poor of the land are increasing and beginning to fail. More and more homeless. Saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great? The small, the, the box gets smaller and the price gets higher. Happening in your grocery store right now. And falsifying the balances by deceit. 
Do you think the statistics about the labor force and inflation and all the things about our economy coming out of Washington are true? I doubt if there's anything they say that's actually true. They falsify it all. How great a mind do you think God has? <laughs> he wrote this thousands of years ago, and I look around today, and it absolutely perfectly fits our country. It just fits like a hand in a glove. How can we deny it? Now, are we literally saying, when will the new moon be gone? Because we don't use the new moon anymore to keep track of time, and they don't keep the Sabbath. But he was writing this in the context of the peoples of Israel who still used those things. But the point is, they don't care about the month, they don't care about the week, they don't care about the day. All they care about is gimme. And I think that pretty well sums up our nation today. That you may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yes, and sell the refuse of the wheat. So, our government right now is buying up the poor, getting them to depend totally on the government. And then the time will come when they can't depend on the government, it'll be too late. So they're swallowing up the wicked. The Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. He predicted it, now it's here, and he will not forget it. Shall not the land tremble for this, and every one mourn that dwells therein, and it shall rise up holy as a flood? I'm not going to forget it. And I'm going to take care of it, and it's come up, it's going to come upon you like a flood. A flood comes fast and furious. And if you don't get out of the way ahead of time, you don't get out of the way. And it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. He says, what I'm going to do to this nation is like what I did to the Egyptians at the Red Sea. If you want a good comparison. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the eternal God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. I think that literally actually happened in August of 17, August 21st, 19, or 2017. We had an eclipse go from the northwest all the way across the country, and it became dark at noon. I believe that was a, an absolute fulfillment of this scripture. This has already occurred. Now, I've used this and tied in several things with it, which seem to be signs in the scripture. Uh, I'll rehearse briefly. We were in Egypt and captivity for 430 years, and as of the fall of 2017, we had been back in this country 430 years, from 1587 to 2017, 430 years. I believe what God did was give us back the 430 years of captivity and give us freedom here for that 430 years, and we have fouled it up ruined it, and become a heathen people. He said he'd put a plumb line on us, and he did. He said he would make it dark at noonday, and he did. Now that goes back to Ezekiel 5, 6, 7, and 8, where he had Ezekiel lay on his side 390 days for Israel and 40 more days for Judah, and said that each of those days represented a year. So what Ezekiel did represented 430 years in the future of Israel. And at the end of 430 years, they would go into captivity. 
He did not say the same day or immediately. He said after that proclamation that it is come, it is near, it is come, it is soon. It won't be the echoing again of the hills, but it's going to come very shortly after that. So here we are uh, about four years after that, and it's on us. How did this COVID thing come on us? Kind of like a flood, didn't it? They just released it, put masks on us, told us to stand six feet apart, and began to divide us. And now they're giving us a vaccination to kill us by the millions. And it is going to become such a morbid situation that we'll be gathering up the bodies in silence. No place to put them. Some mortuaries are already kind of run over. I just read an article that said 85% of those they put on a ventilator die. They know they're going to die. They put them on a ventilator, and that finishes them off. We're in pretty dire straits already, and our food supplies and so on are beginning to diminish day by day. So it is upon us. Now let's tie a couple of other things in there that I've given sermons on, but the 70 years captivity of Jeremiah, which Daniel mentioned, and said he understood the 70 by reading the book of Jeremiah, where Israel had been there in captivity with Nebuchadnezzar 70 years. And I do believe that God pronounced another 70 years on this nation. Jeremiah is also an end-time book and talks about the last days and talks about uh, the day of the Lord, all these events at the end. And our betrayal by our leadership and our destruction in Jeremiah 50 and 51. So it also is an end-time book. And I had trouble understanding how the 70 years applied to now until it started coming clear one day. Because a big deal was made. There was a false prophet that said, it's going to be a short captivity. Don't build houses. Don't do anything. You're just going to be there a little while, and you'll be released and come on back. Everything's going to be just fine. And Jeremiah said, he's wrong, and he's dead, and he died. And then Jeremiah said, no, it's going to be a long captivity. Go ahead and build houses. Go ahead and live a life because you're going to be in captivity 70 years. That's quite a while. You can have a couple generations of people in 70 years. So build houses. Go ahead like that's your life because it'll be 70 years. And when that 70 years ended, Daniel made note of it in his end time book. And... Two or three years later, they got released from uh, Cyrus and told they could go and build the temple. So it wasn't the day the 70th year ended, but two or three years later, things developed according to the way God said. So they weren't all suddenly given a permit to go home the end of the 70th year. It took some time to come out of captivity. And the same with Ezekiel there with the 430 years. He said, it'll be a little while, but it won't be long, is what Ezekiel was saying. So, after the 70 ends. The way I equated that on a spiritual level was Herbert Armstrong starting evangelistic campaigns, little tent revivals or whatever, and people would be interested And when he'd go back to Salem or Portland, they'd lose interest because there was no one there to feed them and teach them and keep them growing. So he decided, we need ministers. Where are we going to get any? (laughs) Oh, I'll build a college. And we'll train them to go out and raise up church houses, congregations, and even build some physical buildings or homes. So I think he was fulfilling that by starting a ministry who would build houses. And it was a long work, was it not? From 47, he died in 86, 
and still congregations were out there, for that matter, still are, just as we're about to go into total captivity. So it's been a long time, and there was time to do all this. Had it ended in 72 to 75, like he kind of originally thought, there wouldn't have been the amount of time, 70 years, for that to happen. But ironically, if you take it from the time he set his hand to build houses in 47, a formal move forward with a ministry, 70 years later came to the fall of 2017. 70 years. So, based on what happened originally, we would expect a period of time after the 70 ended before everything comes completely unglued and we're there building the temple. I think we're getting very close to that because an amount of time has elapsed since 2017 on both those counts. And there's another signal that we cannot deny, and that is Isaiah 7, where there was a conspiracy against the people and the government of Israel. And or Judah, primarily. But God said Ephraim, who was part of the plot, would not be a problem because in about 65 years, is the way the Hebrew puts it, not in 65 years, but about 65 years, and Ephraim will not be a people, will not be a nation anymore. So, I looked for a conspiracy, which is the way that chapter started out with one. And the closest one that would fit this in time was 1954 with the beginning of the Bilderberger first meeting, in which they got together and conspired to destroy this nation. Now, there are others who conspired before that, the Rothschilds, the Masons, and Mr. Pike, and various ones. But that was a specific conspiracy to destroy this nation that started then and still goes on. And there wasn't anything near anything like that for quite a few years either direction from 1954. So I looked through the news to try to find something. It wasn't there. So I thought, well, maybe 1954 was what the conspiracy that Isaiah 7 speaks of. And you go forward 65 years, and you come to 2019. And I believe that we are seeing that prophecy fulfilled. Because it was toward the end of 2019 that they unleashed COVID. It unleashed the masks and the social distancing. And we were no longer a people. We were a bunch of people hiding from each other. A bunch of people who could not unite to do anything. Do you think you can unite America to do anything today with the rift between the Republicans and the Democrats and the racial division that is there and everything that's going on? You couldn't unite us to have a rodeo, I don't think. We'd be killing each other at the rodeo. We've had it. And we are not a nation that can do anything anymore. Do you think, really, we could get everybody together and say, we need to make a declaration of war against Russia and China and defeat them and become a strong nation again? Not a chance. Our military is demoralized and coming apart. We couldn't even do anything in Afghanistan and came out of there in total embarrassment. And the Chinese have got supersonic weapons way beyond what we have, as do the Russians. There's no way we could fight and win a war at this time against anybody with any power. We've got a military full of queers and transgenders and women. We're going to go fight that? Can't do it. Besides that, we're bankrupt and way beyond bankrupt. We're about to collapse financially printing those trillions of dollars. Government says there's no inflation, but have you noticed anything? Prices are going up. 
boxes are getting smaller. You can't print that kind of money and have that much money chasing this many goods without the price of those goods going up. It's impossible. And wages won't go up as fast as the inflation does. And the stimulus checks won't keep up with it. And people are going to start starving to death in this nation. So I think that that prophecy in Isaiah 65 also has been fulfilled here in these last few years. But the, the descent of our nation speeded up very, very rapidly at the end of 2019. And it's going down fast now. So did God indeed pass judgment when that eclipse went over our nation in August of 2017? I think so. The 430 was up, and he says we'd go into captivity when that 430 was up. We're going into captivity at the end of the 70 because of what we are. And the conspiracy against us is coming to fruition. We don't have to worry about Ephraim. We have to worry about the Confederacy, which chapter 8 talks about. He didn't say, don't worry about anything. He said, don't worry about the conspiracy within our nation because we're going to be taken over by the Assyrian and that confederacy. Fear me, don't fear it. So that has been and is coming upon us right now. And I will turn your feasts into mornings and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the morning of an only son and the end thereof as a bitter day. If you have twelve kids and lose one, sure it hurts and sure you mourn. But if you only had one and lost that, it would be such a deeper thing. God used that on David, remember? He says, why did you take this man's only lamb, Bathsheba? You know, he said, if you don't want more, why don't you just ask me? I'd have given you all you wanted. But you took his only lamb. That was a grievous thing for him to do. So he says, it's going to be like that, a bitter day. Behold, the days come, says the eternal God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the eternal. So, yes, we're having a famine of bread starting, but also there's a famine of the word of God. It's hard to find anymore, isn't it? There's still a few little groups out there, or a few that were bigger and they're getting smaller all the time, that are still trying to put something out, but it isn't working very well. And not only that, it's going to get worse. Because as economic conditions get worse, they're not even going to be able to put out what they're putting out now. You won't be able to find anything as you search for it. It's interesting the way he puts it in verse 12. And they shall wander from sea to sea. Now this is looking for the word of God. If you're trying to find it, you can go from sea to sea. West to east or east to west. This indicates west to east, I think. Sea to sea from the north even to the east. So is he saying, go from sea to sea, from Oregon across to New York, and the whole east, and you won't be able to find it. And they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the eternal, and shall not find it. There's only one place it's going to be. In Worldwide Church of God, there was only one place from which emanated the truth. Pasadena, California, in the southwest. If you wanted the truth of God, you had to go to the southwest 
to Pasadena to find anybody who had it. And it's going to be the same now and is becoming that. You won't find it in the north, sea to sea, or the east. And he kind of leaves out the southwest there, it seems to me. Because that's the only place it's going to come from. The watchman will stand on Mount Zion in Ephraim and proclaim it. It's the only place it's going to come from. But they're not looking for that now. And they really can't find it yet. Not much until it becomes quite vocal again. Or some events happen that are going to bring attention. God says he'll send signs and wonders so the 10% of the church will respond and come and start building the temple in Jerusalem. Now that's going to cause people to look and say, what's going on there? Especially if there's a wall of fire around and a canopy over uh, to protect. Then they'll begin to take notice. But they won't want the truth. So... Any who are looking right now are having trouble finding it, and it's going to require God to do some things so that they can see where to go. He's going to do some majestic and powerful healings and make the desert bloom like a rose in that way as well as physically. And that will cause the remnant to say, that's where I need to go And he will only stir those he wants here. Anyone else doesn't get stirred. They may see what's going on and they'll disallow it. Oh, that couldn't be and that's just their lying. Ain't nobody over there being healed. Or whatever. And they won't come. But he'll stir 10% to come. So let's read on down there. They'll not have a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the eternal... And and they'll wander and not find it. In that day, verse 13, shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. Even if young men and women want to find God, find truth, they're going to die of thirst. (laughs) It won't be made available to them. They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Your God, O Dan, lives... And the manner of Beersheba lives, even they shall fall and never rise up again. Now, why does he put it that way? Because he has pronounced a formal judgment in this chapter that is going to come. And even if somebody begins to say, oh my, I want to find something better than what I've got. Maybe God is there somewhere. He's going to say, I don't hear you. I'm not listening. I don't hear sinners. I have passed judgment on you as sinners. It's too late. The parable of the virgins echoes that. It's too late. The door is shut. You will not get in. So he's going to shut the gates of Zion once his remnant comes, and he's going to stop it. There, no more. These are the ones I've chosen to work with. I've passed judgment on the nation and the world. And then he's going to get on with it. You know what? We could probably finish this. I've got a little time left here. I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. And he said, smite the lintel of the door, that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that flees of them shall not flee away, and he that escapes of them shall not be delivered. Now isn't that basically what he's saying up there in verse 14? Door shut, forget it. The sword is coming. You can't escape it. Though they dig into hell... Then shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, there will I bring them down. No place to go, above or below. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I'm going to bug out to the mountains. I'll be safe there. I can hunt deer and eat squirrels or whatever. No, 
You go to the mountains, that won't help you either. I will search and take them out of there. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, some of the rich ones have submarines they bought, personal submarines now that they already own. And they figure they're going to set this thing off, and then they're going to dive into their submarines, and we'll come up when we're good and ready and after the trouble's over. So they can literally go to the bottom of the sea and live today, thinking that they're going to escape. It says they dig down into the ground, into the hell, into the grave. A lot of them have bunkers that they've made underground. think that's going to save them. No, he says, you can't hide. They go to the bottom of the sea. Thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. Satan's a serpent. He'll be willing to take care of the problem. And though they go into captivity before their enemies... Thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. Now, what did Ezekiel say? A third will die of famine and pestilence, a third by the sword, a third will go into captivity, and a sword after them. So he's echoing what Ezekiel said, that even if they go into captivity, they're not safe there, because a lot of us are going to be killed as captives. And I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. A judgment appears to have been passed here, right? This is coming. We haven't had it get this intense and to this point yet, but it's certainly headed that direction very, very rapidly. And the Lord God of hosts is he that touches the land and it shall melt. And all that dwell in there shall mourn, and it shall rise up wholly like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of the Red Sea. La Palma may slough that off, and it may come across and kill millions of people. I don't know that. That's just one way that some of this could happen. And they've been predicting it for a long time, so I'm holding my breath saying that is going to happen. Some people think so. And indeed it could. But the whole thing is going to come very rapidly. He says in Revelation 18, in an hour, in a day, uh, short times in prophetic meaning. Not 24 hours or not uh, 60 minutes, but in a very short period of time, suddenly. And the Lord God of hosts is he that touches the land and it will melt. Oh, I read that. Verse 6, it is he that builds his stories in the heaven and has founded his troop in the earth. He that calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So he says, let's make no mistake here who is behind your trouble. When Americans say, God bless America, God save America, he's not listening anymore. He's done listening. It's just an empty question. Are you not as children of the Ethiopians to me, O children of Israel? You act just like anybody else on earth. You're not a special people anymore. You become just as sinful as anybody else. Have not I brought you, Israel, up out of the land of Egypt and the Philistines from uh, Kaftor and the Syrians from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the eternal God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the eternal. Ezekiel does say there that he pulls 10% out. That's of the physical remnant of this nation. Those who are trying to kill 90% of the population of the earth are essentially correct. God is going to be behind it, and he is directing Satan, who is directing those people who are saying that. It is their goal, and it is their purpose, and it is going to be accomplished, because God said so. And he says right here, he's the one behind it. So don't fight it. Just serve him with all your heart, and pray that you're protected out of it, because it isn't going to be stopped.
Once he sent that judgment of darkness across the nation, it was over. You might say, God save America until August of 17. (coughs) Since then, you're wasting your words. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like his corn is sifted in a sieve. (coughs) You shall not, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Now what does that mean? He's going to shake it like a sieve over all the nations and everything's going to start falling out. And yet shall not one grain fall on the earth. And yet it says we're going to most of us all die. I think that's where Romans 11:26 comes in. Yeah, we'll die physically, but they'll come up in the second resurrection when both the dead, both small and great, arise and are given their chance to live a physical life and prove that they're willing to follow God's ways. So, the fact that they're all being killed doesn't mean it's the end of them. God is great in mercy is going to give them an opportunity to truly repent and then say, God save America, God save Israel, because he will. And he says, all Israel shall be saved. So he's he's going to come out on top. It's just so sad that we have to go through what we're on the verge of going through right at this moment, and already in, but not fully, that we have to go through it in order to listen to God. But that's what it's going to take. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. I'm going to the mountains, I'm going in my bunker, I'm going under sea, and I'll be okay. No, you won't. Then he says... How he's going to fix this. He'll put us through that sieve. He'll kill us. He says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacles of David, David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof. David's going to be king over all Israel in the millennium. So he says, When all this killing is finished, then I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. David's going to come back as a spirit being and close the breaches. House of David will be used along with the bride and God to heal the breach between man and God so that they can be one. I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. Great wealth, great wonders, great peace all the things that happened at the end of David and through Solomon's life, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen, which are called by my name, says the Eternal, that does this. Now notice, the heathen are going to be called by God's name because the whole world will come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, as we read in Zechariah 14. So Israel will be looked upon as the leader of the nations, but those nations are going to come and have their breaches healed and be the children of God, even Edom, Esau. There's a tough nut to crack, but he he calls out Esau particularly here. Even Edom will come and be called by my name, says the Eternal. Is Esau destined for the lake of fire? Some people think so. He didn't repent. But Edom, his people, are going to be joined to God again. How good a chance did Esau have? How converted was Esau? I don't know. I can't make that judgment. God does not say Judas or Esau will not be there. doesn't say that anywhere says what they did, says what their attitude was, but there are a lot of people with bad attitudes. You ever notice that? Around the whole world, there's a lot of bad attitudes around, but they're not lost for eternity. 
until they have a legitimate chance at salvation and repudiate it. God is absolutely fair. Behold, the days come, says the Eternal, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that sows seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. We're going to have, when the millennium starts, after this warfare is over, God is going to make it like the Garden of Eden. I do believe he's going to do that for the church for a very few years in Zion as an example to what shall come. But here he's talking about the end of our nation and the world as we know it. And then Christ is going to return, and there will be plenty like there's never been before. And I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, says the Eternal, your God. The captivity that we are about to go into right now is our last one. Won't be any more. When we are resurrected as a nation, we will be humbled and ready to serve God and be planted in a wonderful place. So God made some pretty heavy pronouncements here in Amos that are right now coming upon us. We're already feeling them, and they're going to get far, far worse until over 90% of us are about, yeah, over 90% are dead. And then it's going to turn around and become wonderful again. That's the God we worship.